ESPN Lafayette. The best ticket in sports. Great Scott! The Great Scott Show. And as they head into the final furlong, all of the other radio stations and radio hosts are left in the wake of a keen turn of speed by the Great Scott Show, the champion. With Scott Prather. Steal the show. Scott Show. Happy to have you with me on this Tuesday. Got Jay Walker scheduled to join me in studio in the 8 o'clock hour. We'll visit with Louisiana Rage Cajun football coach Michael Dezzo in about 15 minutes. He officially announced to the public that Jandler Fields won the starting quarterback job. We'll uh, get you know, his thoughts a little bit on that, but obviously a number of other things as the Cajuns have wrapped up fall camp and uh, are preparing for the season opener a week from Saturday. 11 days away from kickoff for them. Uh, that's coming your way as well. Got some open phone lines at times this morning, and you can hit me up via email, scott at ESPNLafayette.com. I got an email last night and started responding and replying with a listener. Derek, and it was about betting on the Saints. Scott, I'm tempted to put down a lot of money on the Saints this year. I've heard you talk about why you believe it's strange that the betting odds for them to win the Super Bowl are longer now than they were a year ago. To your point, the roster appears to be better, and after seeing what they were able to accomplish last year, despite everything that went against them, and the fact that they play in the NFC, it doesn't feel like that bad of a bet. To which I responded, I, I, I don't, I don't know that they're going to win the Super Bowl. I mean, it's your bunny, it's your bet. Do what you want, but it tells you how much the national media or the public or the betting public from outside South Louisiana and the Gulf South feel about Sean Payton. And that impact. Sean Payton, his offense under Drew Brees for many years was built on precision. And, you know, a lot lot of us took it for granted because Brees was so good at it. And then you saw Jameis Winston in the first eight weeks of last season, in the first seven games. Um, Oh, we'll go back and look at his numbers. Oh, we'll go back and look at the tape. All right, he didn't turn it over. He did throw some touchdowns, but there were a lot of plays left off the field, some of the underneath stuff. I mean, it it wasn't Drew Brees, nor was it going to be. And if anyone expected it, yeah, but he can open it up more down the field and the receivers were bad. And my thing is this. You could say, oh, Pete Carmichael's been watching Sean Payton for well over a decade. He'll know what to do. Sometimes you can watch a boss up close and you can say, yeah, I could do that. Or you say, man, that's why they're the boss. Holy cow. I mean, the guy was was borderline psychotic in the amount of time he would spend 
coaching football, even when he wasn't on the job, wasn't on the clock. He might be at his house on a Sunday night after a noon game watching a highlight package on the NFL Network of various plays from that day, see a team in the AFC West run a, a, a touchdown play in the red zone and say, ooh, you know what? I'm I'm writing this down. I like what I saw there, and we're going to utilize this, not next week, but in week 14 when we play that other team who likes to run this kind of defense. Oh, that's how everybody's mind works. You know, some coaches just kind of see it. They're like, I hope I remember that. Others stop what they're doing, write it all down, make a note, can't fall asleep because they're still thinking about it. I mean, that, that was Sean Payton from the offensive side of things. And he's gone now. And will it have the major impact on the win-loss record? If you have really good players, you know, you can replace a coach, but a, a really good coach does make a difference. And so I understand why from the outside you would look at it a certain way. And Jameis Winston... Hadn't seen him this preseason. Dennis Allen said he's fine if Jameis doesn't take a single snap in the preseason. He hasn't taken a snap in a game since last Halloween when he tore his ACL and MCL in a brutal injury on an illegal tackle by Devin White. Then he got back to camp. Then he sprained his foot. They said, oh, it's nothing. It's not much. And then he didn't practice for a dozen days. And then he was throwing in seven on sevens. Now he was throwing on 11 on 11s. Now he's back at practice and doing his thing. And I don't know if you'll see him Friday night or night, but those are the questions. Derek and I were kind of replying back and forth. and You know, he made some interesting points. And I always say it, look, I'll always put down a little bit of apples on my favorite team to win it all, even when the odds are just uh, obnoxiously long and even if I believe they actually have no shot to win. And that's not necessarily how I feel about the Saints, but I certainly wouldn't recommend to someone to do it, even though I did it. There are still questions here. Questions at quarterback, questions on the O-line. And the same can be said for a lot of teams down here in South Louisiana. Speaking of Sean Payton, did any of you happen to catch his debut as a TV analyst? Oh, boy. Sean didn't do great with criticism when he was a coach. He didn't. He liked to make snide remarks. He would get frustrated. He would get mad. He would curse. I mean, heck, it didn't matter if it was somebody at, like, Whole Foods. He would he would just snap right back at them if they were being critical. I got the guy at Rouse or, uh, at freaking Whole Foods asking me about the two-point play. I looked at him, got from the meat section. I said, hey, your steaks don't look too good right now. Worry about your freaking your meat. Now he gets to, to feel what it's like to be critiqued as a TV analyst. Now, maybe he won't even care because many feel like he's just doing this for a season before he gets back into coaching. I feel that way. But he was on Fox. Welcome to our team, Kurt Menefee said. If you missed any of it, I, you can you can read a lot about it and some of the um, social media bashing of one Sean Payton over on our website, ESPNLafayette.com or on the ESPN Lafayette app. 
I mean, this cat. Look, he was calling a Raven, or not calling, he was an analyst for a Ravens-Cardinals game and mentioned that Lamar Jackson's holding out. Well, no, he hasn't held out. He's practiced in training camp. He's held in for some practices. He has made no no, no comment insinuating that he wouldn't be there for week one. He said that Lamar Jackson is injury prone. The guy's only missed five games in his entire career. Two of those five were because he was sick. It wasn't a significant injury. He mentioned that their tight end, Isaiah Likely, who's been a complete stud throughout training camp for Baltimore and is in no danger of not making the roster. In fact, looks like he's going to be a key part of it, said, yeah, you know, he's, he's kind of a good and bad thing, right? You're gonna, you want to try to stash him on the practice squad, which I'm sure is what they want to do. What? What? Huh? What? No. It wasn't great. It wasn't great. And um, needless to say, the Ravens fans were upset about it. But here's the thing. I've told this to Saints fans for years or the, quote, national media. They don't follow our team. They don't know what they're talking about. And you're not wrong a lot of the time, not all the time, but a lot of the time they're just not researching the day-to-day operations. They're not on the beat. They don't know the team. They're trying to cover 32 teams. Although for Sean, it's kind of inexcusable to say a few things he said about Lamar Jackson. I mean, that's a pretty big story. It's one thing to not be completely in the know about, you know, a backup tight end. Although, do a little research. You're only having to cover two teams right now, not the whole league. But every fan base feels like the national media doesn't know what they're talking about when it comes to their Right? All 32 NFL teams, every college team, everybody. And I was telling the same thing, you know, follow follow individuals, get insight from individuals in the media that cover the team you care about on a regular basis. But for most, they just flip on the tube, hear two people yelling at each other and get upset when someone says something bad about their team and excited when someone says something good about their team. Rinse and repeat. Let's create a whole genre of sports talk about it and just have two people yelling at each other. That's what they've done. But Sean Payton's just a TV analyst on Fox. And that start, it was... (laughs) It was rough. It was rough. When we come back, Louisiana Rage Cajun head football coach Michael Desimo joins me. On this rainy Tuesday, be safe out there on the road, everybody. Be safe driving your kids to school. If you're on the road heading to work, be careful. Be safe. A lot of rain in the forecast today. Partly cloudy. 100% chance of rain and thunderstorms throughout the day. High of 85. That is your weather report from the Storm Team 3 Weather Lab and Daniel Phillips. Coach Desimo next on the Great Scott Show, ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. 25, 20, 10, 5, touchdown, Louisiana! Can I please have your attention? It's time for another season of Raging Cajun Football. I'm Jay Walker. Join Gerald Broussard, Cody Juno, and me each and every week for the excitement of Louisiana football. It is Zion Hill that'll get credit for the sack. Right here on your home of the Cajuns, ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. There's the handoff to Smith, and he's in. Touchdown, Louisiana. Sports talk that's so legit, it smells like beer and chicken wings. I mean, 
Can't you smell it? I'm smelling barbecue, too. ESPN Lafayette, ESPNLafayette.com, and the ESPN Lafayette app. You, my friend. I'm glad I did this test on you, the friendship test. What? You got the best seat in the house. ESPN Lafayette, ESPNLafayette.com, and the ESPN Lafayette app. Welcome back into the Great Scott Show. ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. Your home for Louisiana Region Cajun Athletics. The football season opener 11 days away against Southeastern. Fall camp uh, wrapped up, and uh, the Cajuns getting ready for the season. Head coach Michael Desimo joins us now. Good morning, coach. I hope you're staying dry. How are uh, how you doing this morning? Yeah, I, I, hit, I timed it up just right whenever I was getting in, so I got lucky. I, I I didn't. I have I wake up usually around five, and um, we have like a young dog that I have to walk every morning. And if you don't walk the dog, she goes a little insane. And so I tried to time it between a heavy pour and like a drizzle, and uh, yeah, that didn't that didn't work. We were it was it was it was running in the rain, you know. But the rain can force you to sort of adjust, and this is. Maybe not the, the the opening question someone would expect me to ask you, but correct me if I'm wrong. Your your first year or two at UL, you guys didn't have the indoor yet. So, you know, whenever right. it would rain and you would have to adjust, like what would you guys do? Would you just practice out in the rain? How did it work back then? Yeah, we practiced in the rain a little bit. Um, but, you know, whenever it was really bad and there was thunderstorms, we uh, – I want to say my first two years we'd go to uh, – to bourgeois yeah so we would kind of reserve bourgeois and they would kind of open up all the basketball courts and we we would kind of have to do like a walkthrough style practice in there and then uh my sophomore year kind of right before the indoor was built or right before you know the year before we had it uh we would go in the cajun convention center they would kind of open up the uh convention center where we had fan day and we could go in there but the floor is still pretty slick so it was still kind of a a walk through tempo. Um, and then the spring after my sophomore year, before my junior year, whenever we started construction on the uh, indoor facility. And that was, uh, to say that was a game changer um, is an understatement. You know, I kind of feel like that was the the first step um, of many, you know, for our university's uh, facility improvements for athletics. You know, that was kind of the beginning of it. And, and man, I mean, that thing has been, you know, it's, it's a huge advantage to have when you never miss a day. I tell you what, I, I was—I won't say who, but uh, I was checking out some of the scrimmage uh, on Saturday, and somebody was like, "Man, you know, it's—it's." It's, I wish they could be at Cajun Field. You know, it's, I'm like, look, I don't uh, disagree with you. I'm sure they—I'm sure they would all prefer it not be raining, so they don't have to have it here. But okay. trust me, it's so much better than it used to be because I don't know how you could conduct a scrimmage at Bourgeois. It'd certainly be difficult. So. You know, the the changes in facilities and things that, you know, maybe the younger players take for granted. I know that you're a young head coach when you're, compa- you know, when compared to your peers, but you're still around at a time where I think you can appreciate some of the things that maybe some others take for granted because that indoor, man, when it comes to the amount of work you could have actually gotten done last week where it's raining every day, I'm sure it makes a world of difference. Oh, th- there's no doubt. I mean, I'm I'm very grateful for it. You know, I, like I said, I just I remember, you know, bef- before you had it, man. It just it, it makes everything so much more difficult. Like you said, I mean, the scrimmage 
what we'd probably tried to do, we'd have probably had to push it up, and you'd have to rush to go and try to get out there. And then if it started raining or lightning, you'd have to come back up, and you'd have to shut it down, and you'd have to decide, well, did we go back out and try to finish, or did we get enough? Do, you know, is it better just to call it a day? And, you know, it just, it, you know, the things that, that our community has done here, and, um, you know, obviously, you know, the, the indoor was before Dr. Maggard and some of this stuff, but, you know, our administration, you know, from back then in 2007, you know, but particularly now, the things that Dr. Maggard and Dr. Savoy that, that they're allowing us to do and the support that they're giving us, it's uh, it's tremendous. And it, it's something that, you know, you, you can't. You can't do you can't do a really good job if you don't have support, you know, from the very top, and and we do here, and that's that's something that you know it's not lost on me for sure. Coach Michael Desimar, yes. Well, the question that you were asked the most about from, uh, I guess, the spring until just I guess yesterday was starting quarterback. I got to ask you one more time. I know it's been decided. Chandler Fields won the job. Uh, ben Woldrich was was. Uh, second on the depth chart. You, you spoke a little bit about it already yesterday, Coach, but just to, to rehash briefly, from your point of view, having gone through it as a player, but having to do it for the first time as a college head coach, I'm not sure if you ever had to do it in high school, what's the most difficult part of the process for you? I mean, the most difficult part for me is having to tell a kid, you know, who I really, you know, I really believe in, in both of those guys from the beginning, you know, um, you know, it's hard when you have to tell a kid, look, you know, your best just wasn't quite good enough. And I think we got his best. And I think, you know, out of both of them, I think we got their very best every day. And they worked really hard and they competed the right way. And, you know, that, that's a tough thing to hear, you know. Um, if you play football long enough, though, you're going to hear it at some point, you know. And it's uh, – I don't take it, you know, I don't take it lightly. You know, I, we wanted to make sure we did it the right way. Um, you know, on one hand, you're so excited for – Chandler, because I mean, hell, I know how long he's been here working. Um, the guy's been in a competition since the day he stepped on campus, you know. So, you know, it's got to feel good for him to kind of feel like he's finally emerged from it. And, uh, you know, I'm excited for him, you know, but at the same time, you want to kind of go in there and do it the right way with Ben and, and really kind of the rest of the quarterback crew and kind of just talk them through the way things played out and, um, you know, and, and kind of t- approach it that way. So, you know, that's the hardest part. You know, I think for us, the the thing that you do is every every decision that you make when you're the head coach is, is with your team's best interest in mind. So for us, no matter what decision it would have came down to, you know, you let things play themselves out and you just sit back and say, you know, it's a simple question. What gives us the best chance to win the most games this year? Period. Who's the best one to lead this team? And you know, that's just the way that you have to sit back and approach it and look at it. And when you make those decisions, you know, you make them for the right reasons. And, uh, you know, we're excited about moving forward. I think, you know, the team's probably tired of hearing about the questions about who the quarterback is, too. So I think they're ready to move on as well. No, I, 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 I certainly understand that. Um, and I know for those guys, it's, I guess, as you know, coach, nature of the position, it's always kind of floating out there. But for you guys as a team, it's something that you said early on, look, when we break camp, I want this. I want this to be done. We're going to make the announcement. I'm going to make the decision. It's going to be my decision, and then we're gonna we're gonna move on. You know, the players deserve to know. The team deserves to know. My final question is simply about that subject matter: is how, in the end, how close was it? Um, you know, it was like I said. I mean, it was close all the way through. You know, uh, basically, what it kind of comes down to is, you know. You're you're looking at who has 
had the most good days, right, consistently because they had been neck and neck for a while. Um, you know, and then, you know, I kind of spoke a little bit to the, the nature of both of them and how they how they both kind of play the game a little bit. And, you know, I think Chandler pushed the ball down the field more frequently, you know, and certainly not that, that Ben didn't or couldn't, but Chandler pushed the ball down the field more frequently and, and made more plays down the field. And you know, that's the quarterback's job is to uh, – you know, his job is certainly to manage the game, to operate the team, and to run the run the team, run the system. But there's definitely a lot to the quarterback that sparks his team, and I think, you know, um, just saw Chandler do that more in the fall camp. You know, with the throws down the field and things like that. But you know, I mean, it was a it was a quarterback race all the way through. You know, and uh, you know, I think they both competed really well. But as camp went on. Um, you know, you started to see that Chandler was just making more plays and he was being, you know, more consistent down the field. And, you know, whenever whenever there are a lot of things that they're doing well, you got to find what separates. And that was one of the things that separated for sure. Coach Michael Desmar, guest ESPN Lafayette. I'm Scott Prather. The, the position battles at other spots. They're not drawing as much attention perhaps from the fan base or the media. Are there any other position battles in your mind that are still up for grabs or do you – do you approach it the same way you approach the quarterback where, okay, now that we've broken fall camp, I just, I want to have things settled. Obviously things are always subject to change. I get that, but you probably don't want a position battle, you know, I guess going all the way into the day of the game, or maybe you do. I I don't know. I guess that's why I'm asking. Uh, Yeah. You know, I mean, I just think quarterback is the one that's different, you know, to be honest with you. Um, you know, you can't you can't keep repping two guys all the time at quarterback. You know, you can't split the ones reps with them all the time. You you have to start to make decisions and how you're going to split it up. Um, so you know, to me, that's the one that had to be decided. But you know, I mean, at, at place kicker, I mean, you know, certainly that that race has tightened up and has gotten to where it's really close. You know, those three guys have competed very well. Um, we're going to let that kind of keep playing out. You know, I mean. Stafford has done a really good job coming in here, you know, and I think Klotz and, and Kenny, you know, they've been competing their tails off too. So you got three guys that are competing for that spot, you know, at running back, I think it might be a week to week thing. Like, Hey, who's going to be the number two going into this week? Uh, Cause at times they've all flashed, you know, I, I think Kabote has, has probably been, Kabote's probably been the most, uh, the flashiest player, you know, for us at running back. Um, but Terrence had been really, really solid. You know, obviously had a fumble in the scrimmage, which, you know, is disappointing. And, and, and those are things that obviously, you know, you're correcting the technical um, points of, of handling the ball, you know, and going to get it fixed. But he'd been solid the entire uh, fall camp, had done a really good job. And, um, you know, Draylon, like I said, kind of about midway through it, he was starting to come on and he had a really good day. So I think that might be a, end up being a week-to-week deal. Like, hey, who's had the best week of preparation and practice and they'll go out there first. But I mean, those guys, they're, you know, that position battles is, is always a tight one. Um, you know, at receiver, I think for us at receiver, we kind of just consider all those guys starters, you know, which I know is kind of is strange a little bit maybe, but, uh, you know, coach Leger has done such a good job with those guys. And it's kind of like, Hey, look, man, you know, you played the best, you, you prepared the best, you'll go run out there first, but it doesn't necessarily affect, you know, the order and the flow of it. So those guys, you know, I mean, they, they handle that pretty well. And, you know, and then defensively, there really haven't been a whole lot of battles for starting positions on defense. So that's, which is certainly a good thing. You know, a lot of, we've got a 
a lot of good players back in those areas. So just, uh, you know, I mean, we'll let those ride as long as they need to. Um, but I think for us, it's, you know, picking a quarterback and having that settled, that, that was the priority for sure. You just, I just didn't feel like for our team, it was good to drag that out any longer. You mentioned on the defensive side of things, a lot of the positions being settled in terms of how the depth chart may lay out. I wanted to ask you about a senior, um, uh, Jaquan, uh, Jaquan Nelson. I know I saw, he, you know, he got a little nicked up on Saturday. I just watching from afar at the scrimmage. How, how is he doing? And, um, you know, overall you having been through lots of fall camps, I guess the follow question to that is, were you all things considered okay with, with how, how camp went from a health standpoint? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, listen, I've been in fall camps and you know, I remember, <laughs> So actually, I wasn't even coaching here yet. I don't know if you remember at all. It was the fall of 2015, and I remember Coach Hud was still here. And in one day, they had three receivers go out for the year in one day, in one practice. Um, and you're like, whoa, like how does that happen? Um, so, yeah, I mean, listen, it can always be worse. You know, we've had a couple soft tissue injury guys, you know, it's always, it, it's always, I don't want to say frustrating because that's not really the right word to use. You you want to have all the pieces ready to go, right? Like you want to be a, it's like a kid and you've got all these toys and like you're so excited to go out there and go play with them and, you know, you forgot to get batteries for one of them, you know, and so you're just sitting there looking at it. Uh-huh. But, you know, I mean, that, that, that becomes frustrating sometimes because you want everybody ready to go. But the reality of it is, is that um, the kid's health is first and when they have to, when when they, when they need to be out and they need to be in rehab and they need to recover, then you do what's right. And, you know, I mean, this is a long, this, this thing's not a, it's not a sprint, it's a marathon and you got to get them back and you try to keep them engaged. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I was pleased with it. Uh, Jaquan's going to be fine. You know, he's uh kind of day to day right now. Um, I think his ankle got rolled up a little bit. So, you know, he's rehabbing really hard and, and we'll get him back, which we need him back. Cause he's, he's had a, a really, really good fall camp. And, uh, you know, he's a guy I'm proud of, you know, I mean, he's one of those ones that wasn't a household name, but, you know, we knew he was ready and, and he's done a fantastic job of getting himself in position to go out there and, and contribute and matter this year. Zion Hill green, one of the better, more standout players on the team. Anyone that, that follows the Cajuns know who he is. Many people that don't know who he is. He's that kind of player. And you've said throughout camp, we got to limit his reps this year in the past He's been overworked. Do you do you have a ballpark range in mind, Coach, or is it kind of just is it a give or take with him? I know for some players they're always going to tell you, "Hey, I'm good to go. I want to play." But is there a pitch count, so to speak, for Zion this season? Maybe not a definitive number, but kind of a, a ballpark range where you're like, "And yeah, we probably should keep it like this on game day." Yeah, I mean, just kind of, you know, off the top, just kind of like, you know, saying, hey, everything goes good. You know, 30 plays to me would be, you know, 30 to 40 plays would be where you see him, you know, optimally being able to play. But, you know, I mean, that can change week to week. You know, I mean, he's coming off of a a surgery in the spring that, you know, I mean, he's had multiple, you know, he's had multiple seasons where he's played through things. And at the end of the year, got it fixed. You know, I mean, he's a tough-nosed kid. Um, so, yeah, in the game, he's going to tell me he's good to go. But, you know, it's our job sometimes to kind of put the governor on him a little bit um, if we're trying to get him to make it through the long haul, which certainly for his health, we want to do that. And secondly, for our team to have him for, you know, hopefully 14 games, right? Um, 
you, you, we need to do a good job and manage it early. And we've got other good players that they need to play and grow up to. And Zion, you know, he knows the plan. He understands that. Um, you know, so it's something that, you know, I think he knows he needs that. And uh, he knows that that's best for our team, which is, you know, we have those types of conversations with our players and kind of with the plan. And we try to be transparent and tell them exactly what we're thinking. And, um, you know, Zion's a smart dude. He gets it. So he, he, he knows that that's what he needs and what our team needs. What what is the schedule layout for you guys now that you've broken fall camp? Uh, it's it's not game week yet. So what is what is the day to day like this week? And um, and I, I do this often. Sorry, coach. The follow up question I'll just ask now: how how much different is maybe your game week schedule like compared to the past couple of years when when you weren't the head coach? Um, yeah, so right now we're actually transitioning to a mock game week schedule. It's kind of the way we're trying to do it. Um, you know, you always try to, you know, football is kind of funny. You know, we try to control it that way, right? Like you, you have scrimmages to mock a game, right? I mean, we have script scrimmages to mock different situations that could happen in a game. You know, you practice the pregame routine. You practice all these things. You know, we try to control it in a way that, you know, our kids are prepared for everything. So for us, having a week of school, you know, it used to be fall camp would take you almost all the way up to the first game. Um, and so you were in fall camp mode all the way up, which there's some positives to it for sure. But, you know, for us, this allows us to kind of emulate a game week um, in that schedule. So today will be our first day of a, of a normal game week schedule with two o'clock, you know, special teams meetings and moving from there. Um, you know, the reality of it, Scott, is that, I think one of the big reasons that we had the success we had was because of coach Napier's organization when he was here. Um, so a lot of these things like the weekly schedule, um, when we meet on different game plan areas, when do we do this? When we do that? Um, you know, when do we have time for recruiting? When do we have time for, you know, offense, you know, offensive film review, we're, we're keeping those things the same. Um, you know, I felt like that was one of the things that I felt like he was a master, um, at organizing and managing time, um, you know, you hear horror stories about the people that they work till two o'clock in the morning, you know, three, four nights a week. Well, I just believe that a lot of that probably has to do with poor time management. Um, and I think that's one thing, you know, when coach Napier came, he was like, we're not doing that here. You know, Monday through Tuesday, uh, Sunday through Tuesday night, it'll be late. We'll be up here late, but Wednesday, Thursday, you know, I want you to go home, see your families in the afternoons and, um, you know, that, that really it meant a lot to me, I know, as an assistant. And so, you know, it just kind of showed me if you just manage your time and you do it wisely, you can you can get all the work done um, on the front end of the week and still be able to, to you know, have a life, you know, with your family um, on the back end. So that schedule is going to pretty much stay the same. Um, I think it's something that obviously worked really well for us. And, uh, you know, our staff is comfortable and familiar with, which that's part of it, too. Coach Michael Desimo has been our guest. We'll be visiting with him uh, this season, Monday mornings. Looking forward to it. Uh, it's right around the corner. Last question, Coach. Not not a football question, but you were referencing the importance of organizing a schedule and, and making sure that you still have time to spend with your family. Um, it, it's good yeah. for mental health. It's good for family life. And if family life is good, you probably do your job better. Your, your family you've described as um, ultra-competitive. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. I think you said that to me one time mm-hmm. about your wife, Lindsay. I know you have two children, Thomas and Elle. So if, 
if the Desimos are like playing, you know, on a rainy day like today, playing a game of Uno or Monopoly or something, I mean, who's who's the most competitive individual in the group? Um, I mean, probably Lindsay, to be quite honest with you. Um, especially if it's like a real deal, like me and her, she's, you know, yeah, it's, it's probably her, you know, with the kids, you know, she'll let the kids win sometimes, but yeah, if it, if it starts to be like a real competition, yeah, it, it's probably her more than anything. Um, you know, the little ones don't like to lose either. Um, you know, I've had L ask us why we didn't win by more after some games. Um, so, you know, it's, we, we keep it, we keep it real in our house. So, you know, we're, uh, I think the competitive spirit, I think is healthy though. I think it's, uh, it's something that, uh, you know, it kind of drives you and motivates you. So it's something that I love to see in them. You know, obviously you always try to manage it. Um, and their mom sometimes isn't the best example. She, uh, she, she likes to win more than everybody else. So, you know, sometimes she gets a little, she acts, she acts out a little bit whenever she doesn't win either. So, She'll well, probably be mad at me when she hears about this. But, but, I mean, whenever you're – so you're – it's your wife, right? If you're playing this game of whatever, Monopoly, whatever the game is, um, you're competitive. Like, you want to win, but as part of you worried, like, man, if I win, I you know, I don't I don't want it to lead to some, you know, brief friction, you know, five, <laughs> ten minutes, whatever. And then in the other part of you, like, she probably can tell if you're not going all out. So – you know, but you love to compete. So I, you know, I didn't, I didn't mean to throw such a hardball question here. But I don't want to get you in trouble, Coach. But oh, I, I, you know, whatever you guys are, are are having game night, I imagine it can get a little get a little intense there. Yeah, no, it, I mean, look, she's she's been she was an athlete, you know, growing up and everything. So she's played. I mean, she's like anybody. You win, you share. You lose, you share. I mean, not like she's a poor sport about it, but she does not like to lose. And yeah. uh you know, that's a, uh, I think there's some value in that for sure. No doubt about it. Well, uh, all the best, Coach. Uh, enjoy the time with the family this week. And obviously, I know you're busy out at the facility. We always appreciate you taking the time. All the best. And uh, we'll catch up next week on Game Week. For sure. Thank you, Scott. You got it. That is Louisiana Ragey Cajun head football coach, Michael Desermo. He's probably going to get in trouble for saying this. You never think you're going to get in trouble. <clears throat> asking a coach a question about the family, but the competition is real and it is palpable in the Desimo household. Let's just say that 40 after the hour ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. It's the great Scott show. I'm Scott Prather. Number of notable things from that conversation. Uh, good to hear that, that Jaquan Nelson is going to be okay. You know, kind of, he said mentioned foot got rolled up on, but he should be fine. Um, you know, wide receiver, they consider tons of guys starters. It's just week to week who's going to start the game. But as far as reps go, you know, you know that Chris Smith is a starter at running back, but as far as number two on the depth chart, that could be a week to week thing. As a, as of right now, it is. Kicker, that race is really tight. I remember talking to Coach Desimo at the start of fall camp. The morning it was set to begin, he said, you know, it's kind of Kenny's job to lose and uh, and Kenny is now in a battle with two other guys, which is a good thing. You know, last year Kenny got hurt, and then you had Nate Snyder, and he could hit some long ones and struggle with PATs and other things at times, and it was 
It never ended up costing him a game, but consistency there is is going to be key this year for sure. For sure. And for Zion Hill Green, 30 to 40 would be optimal. Snaps a week. And he started with 30 and then said, eh, maybe, maybe 40. But that Zion understands that in terms of what's best for his future. And he's thinking, uh, I would imagine a guy of his talent is thinking about, you know, not just his senior season, but football beyond that as well. Look out for your players, their futures. Try to win games now, help them grow. I mean, all the ingredients that you want in a head coach. 41 after the hour. We'll take a timeout. Actually, before we do, since we're wrapping up this segment with Coach Desimo, let me remind you guys. So the home opener for UL is 12 days away. Also is the season opener. Check that 11 days away. But homecoming is early this year. It's October the 1st against South Alabama. And don't you want to be at that game tailgating? And wouldn't you want to have the best tailgating spot at Cajun Field? And wouldn't you want to have the whole thing set up for you? Maybe not. Some of you listening are like, no, I tailgate myself. I get it. But come on, the ultimate tailgate package for 50 from Fizo's Seafood Steakhouse and Oyster Bar. Fizo's, one lucky winner, one of our listeners, is going to win this package. Fizo's is going to set up the tent the table, the chairs at the prime tailgate spot over outside of Cajun Field, courtesy of UL Athletics. They're going to cook the food. They're going to provide the soft drinks and the water. They're going to take care of you. Oh, and by the way, you get 50 tickets to the game. So you and 49 of your closest friends are going to enjoy the game, courtesy of UL, uh, UL Athletics, Fizo Seafood Steakhouse and Oyster Bar, and ESPN Lafayette. And me. You're welcome. But you got to sign up. Free to sign up. Go to the ESPN Lafayette app. And if you haven't downloaded the ESPN Lafayette app, what are you waiting for? Come on, guys. If you open up the app, you'll see on it, on the first page. You'll see a little icon, tailgate for 50. Click on that. It's simple and it's easy to sign up. Or you can go to ESPNLafayette.com, straight to the website on the What's Hot Bar, tailgate for 50, and sign up. There, we'll take a quick timeout. Tom Brady is back, trying to put to rest those rumors that I was buying into quite a bit. We'll explain next. This is the Great Scott Show on ESPN Lafayette. He still hasn't given up his dream of becoming a member of the Beastie Boys. Mm, drop! Scott Prather on the Great Scott Show on ESPN Lafayette. The best ticket in sports. It does go well with a chicken. Well, welcome back into the Great Scott Show. ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. Appreciate Coach Desimo coming on the show. Jay Walker will be in studio next hour. Looking forward to uh, chatting with him. Phone lines open as well, 337-269-1077. Tom Brady back at practice. After being away from the team... To which Ian Rappaport says he was just with his family. All it was, nothing to see here. Tom said he was, um, you know, apparently a, a Buccaneers insider said he was on vacation in the Bahamas with his family. And the vacation was planned when he was retired briefly, even though we know he was never actually planning to retire. But, hey. But what Tom did was he um, debunked the theory that he was just off 
filming The Masked Singer for Fox, which I, again, I'll be honest, I was I was kind of the ones biting on that hook, which I'm sure The Masked Singer loves. Plenty of free publicity by someone on Reddit starting a theory that, ah, he just that's where Tom is. But he's making dad jokes. No, I was only shooting promos for, huh. The clothing's uh, company's underwear line. Uh, yeah, that's that's what I was doing. All right, Tom. Thank you. 45-year-old dad joke there. But his excused absence for personal matters, which apparently is we they're claiming is was a nice vacation, uh, 11 days away from the team. And, you know, I, I, he's coming back to a, a Tampa Bay team that, you know, I would be concerned if I was Brady. Because for Brady to still be great, as great as he is, at 45 years old, he needs enough time to work. And and, and Tampa lost their starting left guard, Aaron Stinney, for the season because of a torn ACL and MCL. And their center, Ryan Jensen, one of the better centers in the league, out indefinitely because of a knee injury. And their right tackle, Tristan Wurst, one of the better tackles in the league, day-to-day, strained his oblique. I mean, it's it's not like he's coming back to uh, a roster that is fully healthy and ready to go, especially on the offensive line. Hmm. Yeah, and then you look at Tampa Bay's schedule to start the season. Well, it ain't how you start, it's how you finish, Scott. Sometimes how you start impacts how you finish. And in sports, it it often does. Yeah, there's always a story of a team that starts out really, really, really slow and ends turning around. But then even them, they'll tell you, oh, well, you know, that just brought us together. We learned what we could do. So if you really want to break it down, it always impacts how you finish. And when you look at the NFC South, Atlanta's going to be awful. Carolina doesn't look very good. Baker Mayfield's their starting quarterback. Matt Rule is their coach. You have the Saints, who we've talked about plenty and always will. And then you have Tampa, who many consider as the favorite. They open up at Dallas, then at New Orleans, who's handled them in the regular season. Then then you're back at home, finally, for Tampa in week three, but it's the Green Bay Packers. And, oh, by the way, next week you're at home. It's a primetime game against the Kansas City Chiefs. Now, there are there are elements to the Bucs schedule where it lightens up at times, but not for a long stretch. Go check out Tampa Bay's schedule and tell me if you think that team is actually going to match the 13-4 and record they had last regular season. I'm here to tell you. They are not. No way. Not going to happen. Brady's been in the NFL for a very, very long time. But even he didn't spend 20 years with just one team. It was 19 years for the New England Patriots. 19. Not 20. To spend 20 years with a single team, uh, 19 years, I guess 19 years, but 20 seasons. 
to spend 20 seasons with a team, 20 years of stuff, but to spend 20 seasons with a team is extremely rare. And Tom did it with New England. 20 seasons, 19 years. And then he went off to Tampa Bay, even though he was rumored to possibly go to Vegas and Dana White wanted to put it together and Miami and all this other stuff. And even talked to briefly to San Francisco and they didn't want him. 20 seasons with one team. That's a long time for Thomas Edward Patrick Brady Jr. to spend with a single franchise. And in the NBA, it's prior to this week, it's only happened two times. Kobe Bryant and Dirk Nowitzki. Only players in NBA history to spend 20-plus seasons with one team. And now another member of that club will enter next basketball season. You know who it is? Anybody? Udonis Haslam. Yes, he is still technically a player in the NBA, not a coach, as he has been what they call a coach player for the Heat culture for several years now because he gets in about one game a year and usually gets kicked out for... I mean, Udonis Haslam, 20 years... He announced at his youth camp over the weekend that he signed a new deal with the Heat and will return for his 20th season. I mean, dude, his his pension from the NBA is going to be gigantic, and he'll probably be close to just taking it in by the time he finishes. He's won multiple championships. I mean, that is just since 2003. I mean, he was playing for the Heat when they were playing the New Orleans Hornets in the first round of the Eastern Conference playoffs back in 2003 when Dwayne Wade was a young rookie star. That is a long, long time. 20 seasons. I guess his valuable locker room but at some point you're like well, why don't you just sign him as a coach i'm not going to question it the heat are consistently one of the better more competitive teams in the nba year in year out and and as as haslam says look the culture it's real the heat culture that's not just a saying it's real it has saved many guys not just me that's what he said says people have a stigma of what it is or isn't. I'm just telling you, it's real. 20 years, you could say, oh, he's the highest paid assistant coach in the league. 20 years with one team is incredible. It truly is. In any professional sport. ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. I'm Scott Prather. Of course, as you get older, you start getting more aches and pains, right? It comes with age. It happens. For others, it sometimes it happens early in life. But that chronic pain, it, it, it sucks. Let's be real. It sucks. Aren't you sick and tired of that constant pain, guys? Aren't you sick and tired of that pain in your knees or your hips or your back? You want to be moving pain-free, right? I'm, I'm Scott Prather telling you about the team at QC Kinetics, and they are helping people here every single day get lasting pain relief. How do they do it? Simple. You use the latest advances in regenerative medicine. It's The science is simple, guys. 
Concentrate on your own body's healing agents. Apply them to your aching joints. Restoring and repairing damaged tissue. No drugs, no steroids, no surgery. The old remedies for pain, they're not the only remedies. They're not. You need to learn more about how regenerative medicine at QC Kinetics can change your life. Stop suffering from the chronic pain. Do something about it. They got clinics here in Acadiana. They got clinics all over America. It is the exciting new natural way to deal with joint pain. No side effects, no downtime. What do you have to lose? The only thing you have to lose is the pain. That's it. Because they'll give you a free consultation. Free. Call QC Kinetics now for a free consultation at 337-243-4222. That's 337-243-4222. QC Kinetics. Coming up next, Jay Walker in studio. Man, terrible tune Tuesday. The latest in Major League Baseball. College football contenders. Plenty to dig into with the Birdman when we come back right after this on ESPN Lafayette. The best ticket. 25, 20, 10, 5, touchdown, Louisiana. Can I please have your attention? It's time for another season of Raging Cajun football. I'm Jay Walker. Join Gerald Broussard, Cody Juno, and me each and every week for the excitement of Louisiana football. It is Zion Hill that'll get credit for the sack. Right here on your home of the Cajuns, ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. There's the handoff to Smith, and he's in. Touchdown, Louisiana. ESPN Lafayette. E to the S to the P to the N. The best ticket in sports. Great Scott! The Great Scott Show. And as they head into the final furlong, all of the other radio stations and radio hosts are left in the wake of a keen turn of speed by the Great Scott Show, the champion. With Scott Prather. Steal the show. Hello, everybody. Welcome in to the Great Scott Show. The 8 o'clock hour on a Tuesday, which means ODB, the Hello. opinionated diverse bird man, Jay Hello. Walker. Hello. Hi. Are you a parrot? What's going Hello. on? How do you want a cracker? What's happening? <laughs> Hi. Good morning. How you doing? So you didn't you didn't get poured on coming in here? I no, I did not. Um, Consider yourself fortunate. When I, oh, I know. When I got up this morning, it was really coming down. Um, but no, I um, I left the house and not a drop of rain on the way over here. Tell you what, man. Little things that like in in terms of college athletics, you could take for granted after only a little while. I was talking to Coach Desermo last hour about it, like. Man, your first two seasons when it would like start storming or there was lightning, it's like yeah, we just go to bourgeois. I'm like, I guess it's probably hard to conduct like a scrimmage or practice. Like, you do the best you can. You go to Saturday, it's you know raining and they have to do a scrimmage and it's the last one of fall camp and you just go to the indoor. And it, yes, I oh man, I wish it was a Cajun field or you could do this or that. I get it, but guys, trust me, it can always be worse. And a lot of college. Colleges now have indoor facilities, but not all of them. And that's something that <laughs> it only took a few years to kind of forget how nice 
it is to have. But when you don't have it, man, it 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 can it's a serious setback, especially when you get a week like we've had. I mean, the last week plus it's just been raining nonstop. Yeah, and and you know you're right with everything you said. You know, we we kind of take the indoor for granted now because we've had it now for about 15 years. Um, but you're right. I mean, there are still some schools uh, in the in Division One college football that don't have an indoor practice facility, uh, or if they do, maybe it's a half a facility, maybe it's 50 yards or whatever. Um, you can still you can get a lot done in the indoor. Now, wasn't near as good for us on Saturday because we were hoping to be in the press box and yeah, be able to be see able to down and, see and, better, sure. and and see better but so it wasn't as good for you and me but for the for the players it was fine when the Saints were yeah, when when the Katrina season happened and they were in San Antonio and briefly in Baton Rouge and all I mean I, I remember talking to players Mike Carney was telling me like they had to set up tents in a parking lot next to a high school baseball stadium where they lifted weights. Mm-hmm. Like when it would rain, you'd just be all over the ground. You can't really do work. He said they were uh, changing in a dugout. And when it would rain heavy, if they needed to practice, they'd have to go in a high school gym. Like, how do you prepare for an NFL game when yeah, exactly. everyone else has just got, except the Bengals, everyone else had these incredible, you know, state-of-the-art facilities. It's like, I, but there are some colleges out there that, they just they don't have don't take for granted what you got. That's all I'm saying, man. Especially when it comes to being able to practice uh in the elements. Oh, I wish we could practice outside. Well, it's better than not being able to practice at all. That's absolutely true. And and you know, if you look at the extended forecast, this isn't going away anytime soon. Mm-mm. No. They're t- they're talking about seventy, eighty percent chance of rain every day this week. Yeah. Yep. And and what we're going through is nothing compared to what they've gone through in the Metroplex around the Dallas area. Thoughts and prayers to them, man. Severe flooding there. Right they now. well they've had they had the kind of rain that we had in 2016. So it's um but it's all over the state of Louisiana today. Be safe out there on the roads everybody. And uh in the meantime, what 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 stood out to you most from the scrimmage? Um I walked out of there saying, okay, Chandler Fields is your quarterback. You and I both told each other that when we were leaving yeah. Saturday. It, 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 he looked ready. He looked ready. Uh, he looked more confident, more decisive. Um, I think he's got better arm strength. I mean, he made one throw deep down the sideline that I don't think Ben could have made. Um, so... You know, Ben is is in the mix. Ben is going to play. Ben's a good quarterback. But Saturday I left. I said, okay, the the quarterback um, competition's over. Interesting to hear Coach Desimo speak about it last hour, about the hardest part, having to tell a kid oh, it's to work their tail off. That's the, the hardest aspect, but it's part of the job. You know, you, you don't – not everybody can win the job. Not at that position either. And I said, what about other position battles do you want to – let those continue. He said, really, quarterback's the only one you, you really want to have shored up now. He said, if there's other positions and they're battling it out, you know, week to week, that's that's okay, but you don't want that at quarterback. No. Um, and so Chandler Fields will start, and Cajun season is uh, 11 days away. Um, 
LSU season is 12 days away. Saints season is 19 days away. Jay, we are here. Well, and and you're going to see meaningful football for the first time this weekend. I was going to ask you about that. You're right. You've got college football games that count on the standings. Uh, the the I guess the most notable one is the one in Ireland between Nebraska and Northwestern. It's not exactly a slate that, like, if this if this was a college if this was a slate, let's say in like 2020 when you had the COVID season, if you had a weekend like halfway through the season and this was it, you'd be like, all right, I'm I'm not watching football this weekend, but because it's the first one, Vanderbilt Hawaii, it's like. Man, let me pop some popcorn, baby. I'm just happy to see some real college football on TV. No, real football, period, because there hasn't been any. Okay, uh, there's been televised football practice with the with the National Football League. That stuff means absolutely nothing. Um, well, I wouldn't say that. Jay. Well, no, it does. It means absolutely nothing. You're watching a bunch of guys who you're not going to see in a couple of weeks because none of them are going to make the team. You can't. You can't. But they're that. wearing. But they're wearing NFL uniforms. So hey, it That's counts. It's it's, it's something. Complete oversimplification. Well, maybe, but you can't say it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't. Why did? Why would the teams do it? <laughs> so so they can charge full price for tickets. I've been saying this for twenty years, Scott. That, 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 to to dismiss the players that can make the roster and make a name for themselves in the preseason. Is That's fine. Silly. That's fine. Well, you're saying it doesn't mean anything. Well, it means something to them, sure. But why does it and mean the teams? Why does it mean anything to anybody else? I mean, is it going to count in the standings? No. Are people going to get pissed off if their team doesn't win? You're talking about yes. who wins and loses doesn't matter. I, yeah. I, mean, I, well, I agree with you there. Well, I'm not going to say it doesn't matter. And the matter. rest of it can be decided. Heck, you could decide the rest of it in practice. Hmm. I don't know. Or you can do scrimmages like the like the Saints did with Green Bay. You can make your decisions that way. You don't have to put it on national television and rape rape your Good Lord. fans by charging them full price. It is one, it's one of the biggest farces in all of sports. Preseason football. Yes. The ticket price was preseason football. Yes. Yes. I just won't go as far as you and say it doesn't matter at all. Doesn't matter. This, um, so this weekend there's meaningful football. Okay. Football that means something. And you mentioned Nebraska Northwestern. It's a Big Ten matchup. Um, Florida State plays this weekend, and that's a Cajun opponent later in the year. So, you know, it might be of some interest to Cajun fans. I'll tell LSU you, fans, too. They're playing on the week later. Th- that's correct. And um, But I, I'll t- there's one g- game that intrigues me a little bit. Because of the um, redoing of the schedules in Conference USA when they finally realized that those teams were leaving to go to the Sun Belt, there are some week zero games, and one of them is a conference game. And it's two teams that are, are going to be in the mix for, for a bowl berth at least. And it's a, it's a divisional game between North Texas and UTEP. Now, both, you know, UTEP was in a bowl game there. I mean, they're, they're coming on for the first time in a long time. Remember when they used to do the bottom 10? Steve Harvey used to do the oh, bottom yeah. 10. And he would always refer to them as the University of Texas at Il- Intercepted Paso. <laughs> um, and, and, and that used to crack me up all the time. But there's, a, there's excitement out there. And that game at the Sun Bowl is probably going to be a sellout or close to it. And so they're going to have atmosphere. It's a conference game. That, that might be fun to watch. 
Week zero. Week zero. <laughs> Week zero. Um, what about FAU and Charlotte? Any do anything for you? Uh, well, once again, you know, you're opening with a conference game. Um, you know, Charlotte, some people think because of their offense, they might be a dark horse in that league this year. I don't think either one of them are going to fight for a championship, but that's something on the east side. Um, I think the west is probably more balanced as far as that league is concerned. But, um, you know, they, it moves the needle, but not as much as UTEP in North Texas for me. ESPN Lafayette, best ticket in sports. And then five days later, you've got even more games on that first Thursday. You have more games week one uh, uh, Thursday than you do week zero. And then, of course, you know, you have some more games Friday and then Saturday. You know, Well, 11 days from now is let's get let's let's. Let's get it on. Let's get it on. Let's get, let's get it on. Um, how many legit contenders do you think there are in college football this year? For a national championship? Yeah. Um, three? Yeah. Probably. Bama, Ohio State, Georgia? Yeah. And they want to expand this thing. Yeah. For a bigger playoff. Mm-hmm. Okay. Clemson, ranked fourth. I think uh, they're not going to fit. Clemson's overvalued at four. Absolutely. 100%. What about Notre Dame at five? Notre Dame is overvalued at five. A&M at six. Intrigued by them, but is there going to be a third SEC team in the mix to, to get to the playoff? Uh, I don't know. The only way that happens is if A&M beats Bama and Bama has one loss and, you know, right. and Georgia beats A&M. And, you know, it's it, there. there is a scenario where they would put three SEC teams. Possibly there. so, yeah. Um, Michigan, six in the coaches poll, eighth in the AP. Well, you know, I think we undervalued Michigan. I at did. The beginning of last year. I did. Um and then they, you know, they jumped up and, and wound up winning. Um, Ohio State this year is really good, though. So, you know, and you're not going to have two teams in the Big Ten. I'm sorry. No, absolutely not. So um, I, I think Michigan is going to be good, but I, but I don't, I, I don't think they can beat Ohio State. I don't think anybody in the Big Ten can beat Ohio State. Jim Harbaugh used to get on my nerves. But now I kind of like him. And it actually has nothing to do with football. He, I, I, I'm kind of going into a dangerous or, or choppy waters here, but when it comes to the political climate in the country, I find that many people in the public eye either won't say anything or they'll only say something that is perceived to be on one particular side. Right. And Harbaugh does not do that at all. What the media would tell you politically is totally one side and then something else is totally on the other. He doesn't just fall in line. He'll he'll support the pro-life movement. He'll support gay marriage. He'll do these things that people would be like, oh, well, if you do that, then you must be all of these things. And 
a lot of coaches will tell you like they don't like he truly doesn't care. He just does whatever he wants and he I used to think he just kind of some people say they don't care but that's just what they want you to think. It's all like sort of part of this image they're trying to craft and I think Harbaugh just whatever he believes in he doesn't care what anyone thinks and I I kind of respect that because I think it's harder to do in today's day. It is it is sports. hard to do. It is and, hard to do. You know, we're all supposed to be Switzerland, right? You know, you may have a view, but don't express it. Yeah. Because you're a public figure and people might get mad. Or if you decide to start doing that, you better just play to one side and, and just roll that way. You Because then you'll get everyone against you. And he's like, I'm going to say, these are the things I believe. I don't care what anyone thinks and I'm going to stand for him. And, and I'm, not, I'm not saying that I agree with everything he says. Some stuff, yes. Some stuff, no. But... It's just the idea that there's not a lot of that, especially in in sports. Um, there might be some outspoken ones that, that kind of go to one side or the other. But for Harbaugh, I'm like, you know what? I think somehow I'm actually starting to like this guy. And I've always felt that Michigan, Michigan has felt like in football, I would say, Jay, over the last 10 years, the way a lot of people feel about Notre Dame is actually Michigan. Oh well, uh, Notre Dame is their only rank is a Notre Dame, or they're overrated, or they're too much of this, or why does anyone care about Notre Dame? A lot of people care about Notre Dame. For the a record. lot of people but care about Notre Dame. The idea that they're overvalued, and I've always said, I'm not. What do you like to say, Jay? You're you're partially wrong, right? You're the, partially correct. The, the The problem with Notre Dame, I think, over the last decade has been. Those that say, oh, well, they're trying to make them out to be like Bama or Ohio State or something. And it's like, okay, they're not that, but they are right at the top of the very next tier. And they have been pretty consistently. I mean, Coach Kelly did a a great job there. And I think when they would get in a playoff, they would lose. And it's like, oh, well, Notre Dame's overvalued. No one would say that about another team that would get in the playoff and lose. And so... And it's not I, it's not just the playoff though, Scott. I think it's you know, anytime they've been in a New Year's six bowl. Sure. Yeah. They've they've they haven't been real competitive. But they've been good during they've had some really good seasons to my point. I think and, they've and, been a really and the good detra- team. and the detractors will say, Yeah, but who did they play? I think they've been good. Michigan. No, I think they've been good too. I don't think they've been great. Michigan well, not 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 one of the great teams at the top. So you don't think Notre Dame's been one of the 10 best teams in college football over the last decade? Because their detractors would tell you that well, they, they, I don't even know why they're ranked. I think they've been... No, I no, I think that there are some people who go overboard. I think that. they've been right there in the top 10. Not high. I'm talking they, about there are, there are some people, and, and most of them are in the Deep South, okay, who just can't stand the fact that nationally everybody talks about Notre Dame. Because Notre Dame is everybody's second favorite team. Maybe not in the deep south, but everywhere else. They have look. They have some supporters down here. In oh, Catholic, sure they do. In, Ca- in this part of the south, in Catholic sure, country, sure there's, they there's do a good bit. Um, but it's, I, I, I think, I think a lot of the vitriol that you hear, especially in the deep south about Notre Dame, is jealousy. Not jealousy that they they don't want to be as good as Notre Dame because a lot of people b- believe that they're better, but they can't stand the fact that that team gets as much publicity as it does. Ten and three, twelve and one, eleven and two, ten and two, and eleven and two. That's been their record the last five seasons. My point about that is, I think that 
up until last year anyway, Michigan was was actually the one kind of living off of the prestige and yes. the history and really weren't as, you know, it's one thing if Notre Dame's ranked second, it's another if they're ranked like eighth. And I'm like, I, they, their resume says they should be. Oh, they're just there because they're Notre Dame. Like Michigan to me has been the team up until last year that was, you're being overvalued because of who you are. And while they might have historically the most winning program ever when you go all the way back, and they've been around a really, really long time, up until last year I thought they were probably the most disappointing program in college football based on the expectations and having the highest-paid coach for many years, not currently. Um, uh, The way that many were looking at Notre Dame, I was saying, yeah, that's how people should kind of be looking at Michigan. Until last year. And uh, I'm going to be... I, I hope I hope Michigan does something good this year. Do you um, do you have a a lot of khaki pants you can wear in the fall? <laughs> no, I'm not I'm not buying any Wolverine gear. Don't get me wrong. Okay. I'm just you know that man talk about not caring about what anyone thinks. Give me my khakis. Let me get in a fight with Jim Schwartz after a game for a nice nice firm handshake. In your years of covering, you might not want to answer this but I'm going to ask anyway. In your years of covering UL sports, Mm -hmm. what was the biggest, I'm not going to say coaching rivalry, what UL coach and a coach from another program, could be any sport, we're talking really did not like each other at all. There are no Christmas cards. There are no, well, we're just competitive, and after the game, no, this thing this thing is deeper than that. Um, I see the guy's face. He used three names, okay? Former coach at Louisiana Tech, him and Nelson Stokely. And hoops. Um, and, and they would, uh, yeah. In football, rather, yeah. In football, yeah. They, there was no love lost at all. Huh? Right, right. I mean, Nelson Nelson would say stuff. You know, um, they they went out and and you know got beat by Tech, and you know Nelson basically stood up a couple of days later and said, you know, they're they're doing this, they're doing that, and you have to be coached to do that, and we're going to remember it because he he didn't feel like they were. Joe Raymond Peace. Joe Raymond Peace. There he is. No, no peace between the two head coaches, though. And then, and then after that, Jack Bicknell, I think. But, um, but yeah, uh, boy, Nelson made no bones about the fact he didn't like Louisiana Tech at all. Peace was when Peace replaced by Gary Croton. Oh, I, think, I have to I go think, look. I at think the, Croton. I think Croton came up yeah, uh, after might him. Have been. Yeah, I mean, he was. Uh, <laughs> I, this I, I I I like when there's real friction between coaches, and, and, you and know they what? don't and they don't try to they don't try to hide from that fact. And and you know what? And after that, you know, you went okay after Nelson St- Jerry Baldwin, and then it was Ricky Bustle, and then Mark Hudspeth, and then Billy Napier, and you never heard those guys. Talk about another program to where, like, you could tell it in their voice. Yeah. So, so I got, I got to go back to, I got to go back to Nelson Stokely in Louisiana Tech. 
kind of goes back to what we're saying. Coaches are hesitant to air anything publicly more now just because of, I don't even want to say the backlash, but the headache that comes with it of having to then answer more questions and everything sure. else. But I don't know. I didn't mind answering that question yeah. the, the, because really it was an easy question to answer. See that was that was before my time, but I mean I remember when Nelson coached, but I was you know I was yeah you're a little, you're I was a teenager and preteen and a teen and I you know it was I, I don't remember like bad blood or anything like that, but there's some other coaches you you if you do this and you've been doing it you know for many years Jay and I haven't been doing it as long as you, but I feel like I've been in it long enough now that if it's a coach that you cover, they don't have to flat out say something you can read mm-hmm. between the lines and be like, oh, you you really don't you really don't like them. You really don't like them at all. I think after the twenty twenty championship game was canceled, I think if we had played Coastal Carolina in twenty twenty one, you might have heard that in Billy's voice. Which it takes a lot to rile that dude up though. <laughs> <laughs> but it it was it was uh yeah he he look there there are just some folks that are never ever going to believe that that cancellation was on the up and up and i'm one of them okay i i'll say it i'm one of them but they haven't they had every reason not to play the problem was they just haven't played since no, I don't think that has anything to do with what I'm thinking about. I just mean what I mean by that is like it, I don't. I'm you still have it. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, they never like if they'd even played the next season or if they were playing sometime soon. I, by the time they might actually play each other, it might just be this distant thing. Well, if they don't play for another three or four years, you're going to be right. But if they would have played last year, that's my point. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, well, that's what I said at the beginning. I said if, if they'd have played last year, you'd have heard it in Billy's voice. That's <laughs> just – I wish it would have happened. Oh, I do too. I wish it would have happened. I'll never forget they were you know, playing Liberty and, and bowl game and, you know, asking various people, not just not just at UL but around the Sun Belt, like, ah, oh, you know, you want to support the conference, right? I mean – be rooting for Coastal in that game. Nope. Every one of them was like, no. <laughs> it wasn't just UL. I mean, they 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 ticked off kind of the whole conference. With well, you know, Appalachian State that year, like the week after the, the conference championship game was canceled, Appalachian State played in the Myrtle Beach Bowl. And all the Coastal Carolina players showed up and was rooting for the other team. You know, so, and and... You know, gee, there wasn't any social distancing going on. I'll tell you what, man, in terms of like wrestling psychology, Coastal played that heel character perfect. Oh, man, did they ever. <laughs> Talk a big game, but act like, what's their mascot? The Chanticleers. Part of a family of chicken, right? That is correct. That, that side of the poultry. ESPN Lafayette, best ticket in sports. Uh, I'm Scott Braithrough. That is... Jay Walker, and Major League Baseball. Let's get into that before we get into TTT. All right. Are the Yankees dying? 
They played well last night. Um, they got a good pitching performance last night. I know, and I didn't like that. But I, I understand. But I, but I, you know, I said I watch. I watched the whole game last night. Um, they're certainly not playing like a team that's going to do any damage come playoff time. They they look like a team that's going to be ripe for the picking with the first team that they play. Now that's going to be the three six winner. Okay. And I don't know who three. I think three is Cleveland right now, and and six is um, Tampa Bay. I believe so. Yeah, I think they're going to be ripe for the picking in that particular um, or Baltimore. Maybe I think series. No, I, Baltimore's a game or two out. Okay. Um, but no, they're. I mean, look, they they have since the All Star break, they have one of the league's worst records. I mean, that's crazy. It really is. The question was, man, are they going to win 120 games this year? And now it's like, are they going to they going to get to 90 something? I mean, that's I. It, it's it's pretty staggering how how much they've fallen off since the All Star break. No, it's it's which Houston fans are loving right now. Well, sure, and and and, and you know, I honestly think that Houston has had a lot to do with that. Because when they punched him in the mouth like seven times in a row, yeah, I think I think the Yankees really started doubting themselves. Um, you know, I don't like to give the Astros credit for very much, but I'm giving the Astros credit for 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 the Yankees slide. I think I think they really contributed to it. I mean, they've they got sent a paternity test by the Yankees to find out if they were the father, and right now I think it. Maury Povich, even though he's retired, would say, yeah. yes, you are indeed. You are the daddy. You, you are indeed. It's amazing that dude just was daytime talk show host, and at some point his show only became paternity tests on television. Mm-hmm. To say that he found a niche would be a severe understatement. It just became Maury Povich. What if, like, when you were doing birds of you every day, it just suddenly turned into one singular thing every day? All right. This is Jay Walker. Got a paternity test here. <laughs> um, ESPN Lafayette, best ticket in sports. Coming up, Louisiana Athletics Live with Coach Michael Desimo getting started next week. We'll give you a rundown of the schedule on that. And... um 20 years with a single team. That is quite an accomplishment in any level of professional sports. And a new pro athlete has now entered that realm. We'll hit on that next. This is the Great Scott Show. I'm Scott. That is Jay Walker. Final segment coming your way next right here on ESPN Lafayette. The best ticket in sports. 25, 20, 10, 5, touchdown, Louisiana! Can I please have your attention? It's time for another season of Raging Cajun football. I'm Jay Walker. Join Gerald Broussard, Cody Juno, and me each and every week for the excitement of Louisiana football. It is Zion Hill that'll get credit for the sack. Right here on your home of the Cajuns, ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. There's the handoff to Smith, and he's in. Touchdown, Louisiana! What's up, Acadiana? This is Rich Eisen. Check out the Rich Eisen Show every weekday from noon to 3 and get your sports fix right here on ESPN Lafayette, ESPNLafayette.com, and the ESPN Lafayette app. 
He was the 1991 state champion in Nintendo. It's the Great Scott Show with Scott Prather on ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. Welcome back into the Great Scott Show final segment. Scott Prather, Jay Walker, Louisiana Athletics Live. Most of you may still call it the Coaches Show. Yeah. Coach Michael Desimo, Jay Walker at Pete's Family Sports Grill. Next Monday, then September 12th, then September 26th, October 17th, November 14th. You get a chance to come hang out. I know uh, $5 Little Pete's for, for any UL student with a, with a valid ID from 5 p.m. till close on Mondays. But a good chance to um, get some insight into Cajun football that you wouldn't get elsewhere and, you know, go tell Coach I and, you know, buy Jay something. He'll, he won't tell you no. Um, yeah. Nobody needs to buy me anything. Okay. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to drink during the show. So, you know. I, I, I mean, just, you know. But after the show. Well. Maybe. You don't have to buy you anything. You can if you want. It's not required. But that's getting underway uh, Monday, the first Yeah, one. next Monday. Next Monday. That's when you know the football season has arrived. Tom Brady played 20 years for the Patriots, then went off to Tampa Bay. Rumors of maybe Vegas or Miami ended up being Tampa Bay. Kobe Bryant, 20 years with the Lakers. Dirk Nowitzki, 20 with the Mavs, maybe 21. There is now another NBA player, Jay, that will play his 20th season with a single team. Now, it is not a future Hall of Famer like Kobe Bryant or Dirk Nowitzki, though he'll undoubtedly be in the Miami Heat Hall of Fame. Udonis Haslam will play a 20th season next year. Wow. In pro sports, to spend 20 years with a single team is... That's pretty crazy. That, to me, is... That's an incredible honor in and of itself. You know, Albert Pujols has been in the in the news lately because he's just been on this ridiculous hot streak, hitting over 400 and, and hitting home runs and, and crazy. And, of course, he's playing with the Cardinals this year, and this his final season after... Several years with the Angels and then one year with the Dodgers. Can you imagine how beloved that man would be if he had spent his entire career in St. Louis? Because as it is, they're going to build a statue for him. Okay. Can you imagine if he'd have stayed his entire career in St. Louis? And it didn't work out well for him. There, there's some guys, they just, they don't belong on a, on another team. They they don't. You know, Pujols is... He, Pujols a cardinal. I mean, that's might, a, you know, might get seven hundred home runs. He might get to seven hundred. We'll see. Um, Kobe. You know, Derek Jeter playing his entire career with the Yankees—that's huge. Means something. Yeah, it means something. It's bad. I mean, even though Udonis Haslam doesn't play much, the fact that they keep bringing him back—it's well, that means he's a good locker room guy. Oh yeah. The heat culture is real. He's talked about how it helps save his life and it helps save other people's lives. I mean, that's. Those are strong words. That's something bigger than basketball right there. Yep. Uh, speaking of Kobe, uh, Jay pointed out today it was uh, his birthday. He would have been 44 today. There you go. That's going to do it for the Great Scott Show. Great to see you, Jay, as always. Good to be here. We'll do it again next Monday, and I've already got next week's oh. TTT picked out. He's, he's ready. He's done the project a week early. Yep. We'll do TTT and more. It'll be game week. It's going to be a lot of fun. Don't go anywhere. The Dan Patrick Show is next. This is ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports.